Welcome to the final installment of a series that we've been in that we've called Deja Vu. And uh, in this series, we've been talking about just that very thing, what it looks like for us as a church to share the hope of Jesus with the folks in our community. And you've heard us say this in, in many different ways. If you woke up this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ, that is heaven's way of reminding you there are still people God wants you to reach with the hope of Jesus. In fact, he has strategically put you in the different situations and the different spheres of influence in which you are because there are people there in your schools, in your family, in your workplace, on your travel work trips. Um, there are people there that he wants you to share the hope of Jesus Christ with. And uh, if you are killing it at everything else, but you are not intentionally finding ways to start to move or more, move more towards sharing the hope of Jesus, then the reality is we are missing the chief calling that we have um, in this life. Um, in this series, we've been talking about the fact that there's so many different ways to share the hope of Jesus. But you heard it in this video. The one thing that's true is it takes an intentionality. There has to be a determination that says, I want to do this more. I want to do this more. And um, man, as we wrap up this series, we thought we would um, kind of talk about the heart of the gospel. Uh, the word gospel simply means good news. Well, good news about what? And so uh, I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, this morning is going to just kind of be like a big Bible study. Uh, it's going to be just us going back to the heart, going back to the facts of the gospel as we wrap this series up. And we're going to start at the beginning. And by beginning, I mean at the very, very, very beginning. Um, here's how the whole story starts. This is Season 1, Episode 1, Genesis 1, Verse 1. Here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And for anyone not familiar with the creation story, it is awesome. Uh, God sits on his big boss chair and he just gives a bunch of verbal orders for five straight days. God creates the universe by just speaking words, very Alexa of him, if you ask me. And whatever he says appears exactly the way he says it, simply because he said it. he doesn't move a muscle, he doesn't break a sweat. He doesn't lift a finger. He just speaks and stars explode and galaxies report into their orbit. And they start to twirl for him just because he says. He says animals and animals pop up out of the ground. God says Alexa, fish and seas are filled with all kinds of living creatures simply because he says the word. He creates this world and it is flawless. It is epic. It is perfect, but he's not quite done yet. He's actually saving his best for last. He's saving his masterpiece for his last day of creation. Um, and it says in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, this is day number six. Then God turns to himself and says, okay, let us 
make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. It is time to unveil our masterpiece. Let's make humanity, unlike anything else in creation, let's make humanity like us. Not just to resemble us, but let's make humanity to represent us by ruling over everything that we have created. Yep, that sounds like a good plan. And then God, completely on day six, breaks from protocol. He breaks from the rhythm of his five days of creation and he does the unthinkable. He does the unnecessary. He actually gets up off of his throne and he takes a first documented trip to this planet called Earth. Sets his feet on the ground. I don't know how God has feet. Rolls up his sleeves and he gets to work. He puts his hand in the dust, in the dirt of the earth and starts to form and starts to shape with his hands the human frame of the first man Adam this is how it describes it Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living Can you imagine waking up to the face of God? Can you imagine waking up and being held in the very hands of God? Welcome to life, buddy. Oh, my fingerprints are all over you because I made you to resemble me. I made you like me. That is your identity. But not just that. I made you to represent me by ruling over creation. That is your purpose. But most importantly, you are being held in my hands because I made you to relate to me. That is your destiny. I made you like me. So that we can connect at the deepest and most meaningful level imaginable. A little bit later, uh, God creates the perfect partner for this man. A woman who would later be named Eve. And together he puts them in this beautiful paradise. This garden on the earth called Eden. For them to begin to live out everything that he had spoken into them. Everything that he had called them to. And there in Eden it is perfect. Life is exactly the way God dreamed that it would be. In Hebrew thought it's this idea of shalom. Where everything is working And everything is relating exactly the way it was designed to be. Life and all things in that garden, that paradise, are pure perfection. There was a time when human relationships were purely perfect. Man and his wife in this perfect partnership functioning Together, Their relationship was perfect. The Bible says that they were both naked 
And all the dudes are like, perfect. Yeah, but that's not the perfect part. The perfect part was that they were naked and they felt no shame. Just such a beautiful picture of vulnerability. Such a beautiful picture of intimacy. Such a beautiful picture of of, of transparency. Such a beautiful picture of trust that they were naked and they felt no shame, which meant I have nothing to hide from you. I don't live in self-consciousness. I don't live with this concern of what you might do if you discovered this aspect of me. I don't live with a fear of what you might do if you discovered this thing about me. No. You can know me and you can see me as I am. That is a picture of relational vulnerability and relational trust. Adam says of Eve at one point, oh, she is bone of my bone and and flesh of my flesh. That's just this beautiful language of interconnectedness. Human relationships were perfect in that place. But not just that. The the, the creation relationship was perfect. Creation was perfectly responsive to to human rulership. It it was pretty awesome. Um, As they partnered together, naming animals. And the animals would be responsive to that. As they worked together to care for the garden and to water these plants. And they cared for creation. And creation in turn would care for them. The plants would yield their fruit in season to feed and care for Adam and Eve. There was this beautiful, perfect relationship between humanity and creation. Perfect. But most importantly of all of those things was the perfect relationship between creator and humanity. Adam and Eve have this perfect relationship with their God. They're not just naked before each other. They're naked before their God. This is a beautiful picture. We have nothing to hide from you, God. We are holding nothing back from you. We're inviting you into every aspect of who we are. We are holding nothing out on you. And in this paradise called Eden, they delight in nothing more than being with their God. In fact, it's insinuated that on a regular basis, God would come down and he would walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. I don't even know how God walks, but they did. He would come down and he would connect with them and they would talk and they would bask in his presence. And my guess is they would want to show him everything, every new species of plant that they discovered. They would want to show him every new animal they had taught tricks because now the cows can bark and they're super excited and they want to just show it off to God. But there was this beautiful picture of man and God walking in communion and enjoying each other and reveling in each other because after all, that was man's destiny. To enjoy creator and to be enjoyed by him. And now they're living out their destiny. My guess is when they heard him coming, they would drop everything and just run in his general direction. Eden was this picture of shalom, this picture of everything perfectly working the way God designed and dreamed it to work. But sadly, that does not last. Sin breaks in 
and paradise is lost. Genesis chapter 2 verse 16 says this. That the Lord God commanded the man one rule in paradise. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You can eat from anything. Come on, have at it. Do your thing. But from this one tree, you must not eat. If you do, you will be separated from me as your source of life. And you will begin to die. Um, As a story goes, Satan, the great enemy of God, hijacks a snake's body and um, convinces Adam and Eve to disregard God's one command. Genesis chapter 3 verse 4. He says to them, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So tricky. God is holding out on you because he doesn't want you to be like him. And he doesn't want you to be happy. Which is just the craziest thing to say to the two people who are made in the image of God. Who bask in his presence on a daily basis and get to enjoy their creator. He doesn't want you to be like him. And he doesn't want you to be happy. In either case, Adam and Eve buy it and they bite the fruit. And the moment they do, sin enters the picture. Paradise is lost, perfection is gone, and death enters the picture. And creation has been darkness since. And all of those things that were shalom, and all of those relationships that worked perfectly are distorted, and they stop working the way they ought to. The human relationship is fragmented immediately. Sin enters the picture. The human to human relationship is fragmented right away. Oh man, Adam, (laughs) he goes from bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh to, oh, she did it. It was her. And he completely blames Eve for Fruitgate. Just throws her under the bus and the blame game that has destroyed over half of all marriages started in that moment. Immediately, sin enters the world and human relationships are fragmented. It's why one of the first things you did as a kid was blame someone else. No one had to teach you that. It was in you as sin affected human relationships. It's why the blame game continues to destroy our world because sin entered in and ruined human relationships. Men are predators. No, if women would just you know, not, not dress so provocatively. What? 
No, it's, it's the blacks. No, nope, it's the whites. No, no, it's these lives. No, it's those lives. No, it's the Democrats. No, it's the Republicans. They're the ones who are responsible for the fate of this country. And the pointing of, you thought that was unique to us? Nope. Blame game is a sin game, and it broke into our world the moment Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Man. Instantly, Adam and Eve become self-conscious and suspicious. They don't trust each other. And so they grab leaves from trees and cover themselves. Why? I don't know what you're going to do with me if you see this aspect of me. I don't know what you're going to do with me if you really get to know me. And so they start to put on facades. And we've been hiding from each other since. And we've been faking it since. And we've been putting on filters since. Because I don't quite trust you. I don't quite know. If you, if, you, if you knew my issues, I don't quite know that you would handle it well. So excuse me while I pretend. And excuse me while I protect myself. A sin just introduced fragmentation into the human relationship. But not just that. The creation relationship was frustrated. The relationship between man and creation becomes tense immediately. In fact, God would tell Adam and Eve, as a consequence of your sin, you are going to live at odds with creation. You are going to be at war. Plants won't just yield their fruit in season, or they're going to make you work for it. And sometimes it will, sometimes they won't, but oh, you're going to have to deal with weeds. And no sooner have you mowed and manicured your lawn than the dandelions you know, show up, and then you have to deal with them, and then you have to mow your lawn again, and it's going to constantly feel like two steps forward and, and four steps back. It's going to be this constant sense of frustration, and then you wake up in the morning, and you go to work, and you have to labor, and then no longer have you slept a little bit woken up you have to go back and then it's going to be overtime in order to provide because it's going to be this grind between you and creation it's not going to be easy creation is not going to cooperate with you without putting up a fight but most importantly the creator relationship is fractured their life source relationship with god is fractured. Remember when they walked with God and loved being with God and loved basking in his presence and taking delight in him because that was the destiny of their souls? That is gone. Those garden walks with their creator, that is gone. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. After they eat the fruit, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. What? Since when did you hide from me? Since when did you hide from me? Since when did you have anything to veil from me? Since when were you afraid of me? Since when did you run away from me? Since when, Adam? Since when? Sin introduces guilt and shame and running and hiding from God. 
and we've been running and hiding from God ever since. No one had to teach you that. You were born running and hiding from God. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the picture through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. That's saying because Adam and Eve were our representatives. When they messed up, we all got messed up on account of them. And so we've been born running from God. And we've been born hiding from God. And we've been born at war with creation. And we've been born at odds with each other. Just go watch your kid at daycare before they know you're there with other kids. Everyone is born relationally fractured from God and running away from him. Everyone. You are born wanting nothing to do with God. Me? No. Yep, you. My cute little toddler? Yep. Your cute little toddler too. Wanting nothing to do with God. We want nothing to do with him. Anyone who's going to come in and, and potentially tell us what to do with our lives? No, we want to do us. We want to cover ourselves. We want to figure our own stuff out. We don't, we don't want him interrupting our lives. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says it this way. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. They may be nice people, but there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who runs in God's direction. Not even one. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have ran away from God. And they've together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. We refuse to do what God says. And that's the way we come on account of sin. Entering into the world. And creeping into the human System And again, no one has to teach us to run in the opposite direction from God. We are born pulling away from the very thing we were created for. To know and enjoy and revel in God because that is the destiny of our souls. That is the chief end of man, to enjoy God, to know God, to glorify God forever. And yet we are born running and resisting that very thing because of sin. Oh, we'll chase everything else for our happiness. We'll run after all kinds of other wells. We'll try and figure out a bunch of different creative ways. Maybe it'll happen at work. Maybe it'll happen with other things. But ultimately, we are running away from God because sin fractured the relationship our souls were designed for. Yes, okay, but why this laborious history lesson slash Bible study? Great question. Um, because this is what the gospel is all about. This is what the gospel is all about. It is all about restoring a relationship that has been fractured by sin. 
That's what this gospel we are sharing with people is all about. It is about restoring a broken relationship and returning to a place called paradise where we walk with God and we enjoy God and we revel in God and we enjoy his very presence again. That's what the gospel is all about. Now, I don't think you quite understand. John chapter 17, verse 3, here's what it says. Now, this is eternal life. Now, this is what salvation is all about. That they would know you, that they would revel in you, that they would delight in you, that they would enjoy you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If you grew up in the church like I grew up in the church, then it is possible that you misunderstood the gospel like I misunderstood the gospel and started to believe that the gospel is ultimately about getting us to go to a place called heaven when we die. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. The gospel is not ultimately about a place. (laughs) The gospel is ultimately about restoring us to a place where we enjoy a person. And revel in a person and delight in a person. I'm telling y'all, if God doesn't show up to heaven, it ceases to be heaven, no matter how cool that place is. It is ultimately about restoring the destiny of our souls, which is delighting in the person of God. You may have grown up in the church like I grew up in the church, and you may have started to believe that the gospel is ultimately about people not going to a place called hell. That's a part of it. But the greatest part of it is not that people don't go to hell. It's that people get reconnected to a God with whom our relationship was fractured on account of sin. So we can enjoy him and delight in him forever and ever and ever. That's what the gospel is ultimately about. It's not simply about removing sin because sin is so gross and it needs to be taken out of the way. No. The gospel is about removing sin because sin is the obstacle that has fractured and keeps us from enjoying and delighting and reveling in the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, which is the destiny of our souls. We are doing this history lesson because I think it's key, church, that we remember what the gospel is all about. It's about reconnecting. It's about restoring a relationship that was broken, a relationship in which is our life and our joy and our destiny. Knowing our God. The greatest tragedy for someone who doesn't know Jesus is that they don't get to enjoy their God. What God finds unacceptable about sin is that it's broken his relationship with his favorite creature, us. And so here's the thing. While God has every right to look at us in our sinful state and decide I am just going to push the reset button and get rid of anything that's been contaminated by sin. Let me pause and say real quick, by the way, there is coming a day when God will do exactly that. He is going to eliminate anything and everything contaminated by sin. But here's the gospel. 
is that God determined before I do that, though, I'm going to come after them. Before I do that, I am going to chase them down and restore this relationship that's been broken. Before I destroy, I am coming after them to restore and re-invite them into the destiny of their souls, which is a restored relationship with me. That is the power of the gospel. God running after us, even when we're running away in order to restore us to himself. But let me tell you something crazy. I used to think, no joke, I used to think that God waited until Christmas to come after us. <laughs> nope. He barely waited till breakfast. To start coming after us. I hope you never read the book of Genesis the same way again. This is pretty awesome. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. <laughs> oh man. Then the man and his wife. This is crazy. They heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What? God was walking where? Right, in the garden. Y'all are so astute. He was walking in the garden. See, here's what we know. The only documented times God gets off his throne and comes down to earth is when he wants to personally connect with people. And it says God was walking in the garden. What? When, though? Right after they messed up. I thought he waited a minute. He barely waited before he came back after them. Looking for them. Chasing them down. And if you read it, you will find Adam and Eve hid from God. God showed up to the designated place. Where are y'all? He came after them in their sin, and they hid from him. And guess what? <laughs> the rest of this book is a story of God chasing after us. And us running and hiding from him. And God chasing after us. And us running and hiding from him. And God chasing after us. And us running and hiding from him. Until God eventually sent the ultimate pursuer. Jesus Christ. I love this. God chases after us in order to restore the relationship that was broken. Oh, and uh, before he sends the ultimate restorer, Jesus himself, you know what I love about God? He calls it like he tried to tell us. I don't know about you. I wasn't listening. I don't think Adam and Eve were listening, but God tried to announce it. This is awesome. Like announce it in the New Testament. No, he announced it right in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He said to the snake, hey, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers. He, her offspring, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Ooh, hoo, hoo. Did you see it? 
God is previewing Jesus. To the snake, the word offspring is singular. It's not plural. He's talking about a person, which is why he says he will crush your head. Who will crush your head? (laughs) This is so good. Hey, listen, snake. Listen, I'm going to put tension between you and the woman. That's why we all hate snakes, unless you're crazy. I'm going to put tension between y'all. And he's going to come. And you will get him. You'll clip him. You will bite his heel on the bloody cross. You hurt him a little bit. (laughs) But wait for it. He will wake up and he will crush your skull in the empty tomb. He is going to destroy the work that you have done. He's hinting at Jesus right here in Genesis chapter 3. And when God is done pronouncing punishment on Adam and Eve, he kicks them out of the garden. But before he does that, it says, Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. This is so awesome. Uh, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. He's previewing Jesus. Right after he punishes them, he custom designed some leather outfits for them. Like, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. How did he do that? Blood. The first time anything dies, God kills it. And he clothes Adam. And Eve with a skin of this animal. Ooh, he is hinting at, he is predicting what Jesus Christ is going to do. I will fix this broken wood. Get out of Eden, but I'll fix this. Not with the death of some animal, but with the death of my son, the offspring of this woman. And I'm not going to cover y'all with animal skin. I'm going to clothe you with the very righteousness of my son so that all of a sudden sin can be removed and I can be reconnected with y'all and you can enjoy my presence and I can enjoy yours and you can bask in who I am and you can delight in me again because that is the destiny of your souls. Get out, but I'm going to fix this. That is the gospel. That in the person of Jesus Christ, God made a way to restore the relationship that was fractured. The one for which our souls were ultimately designed. I'm just telling you, the gospel that we get to share is just the church of God telling the world he did it. What he hinted at, he did it. He has made a way for your fractured relationship with him to be completely restored in the person of Jesus Christ if you simply believe. Jesus has done it. God has done it. He has made a way for us to walk with him again. Amen. On the cross, Jesus takes our sin. And clothes us with his righteousness if we believe. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20. Here it is. We are therefore God's Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's mouthpieces. As though God were making his appeal through us. He's doing it through us y'all. 
So we implore people on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be restored to God. Return to the place of your destiny. Come back to this relationship for which your soul was designed. You will find it no other place. Be reconciled to God. Mom, be reconciled to God. Friend, be reconciled to God. Co-worker, be reconciled to God. And guess what? He has done everything to make that possible. Verse 21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin. He had never messed up. But he made him to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Be reconciled to God. And God has done everything necessary in the person of Jesus Christ. And until you are reconciled to God, you do not know what it is to live out the thing you were designed for, which is to revel in, to know, to delight in your God. This is our message to our county. This is our message to our friends. This is our message to our co-workers. Jesus will take your sin and give you his righteousness so you can know God. That's it. But I wanted us to remember the whole message we share is ultimately about people reconnecting with God. The whole thing about eternity is we get to be with God forever and ever and ever. Because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's the offer. I'm going to say something real quick, because I I, I think it would be so good for us to know that the, the gospel is so holistic, and the gospel is so powerful, and the gospel is better than you think. Remember how sin destroyed the human relationships? if you knew but (laughs) when jesus went to the cross he undid the work of the enemy when jesus went to the cross he crushed the head of the enemy he restored all that was broken by sin's effect including human relationships ephesians uh, chapter 2 verse 14 says it this way for he jesus he's our peace he's our peace not the ballot box Not a presidential candidate. Jesus, he's our peace. Not skin color. Not agreeing about things. He's our peace. Who has made the two groups that used to be opposed one and has destroyed the barrier. That's what the gospel does. The dividing wall of hostility that used to stand between us. By setting aside in his own body the law with his commands and his regulations. His purpose was to create in himself One new humanity, one new shalom humanity out of the two. That's making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he puts to death their hostility. I don't know if you knew this, but the hope of human beings getting along and peace, it's the gospel. That's why as a church, you will hear us concerned with unity. As a church, you will hear us talk about forgiveness. As a church, you hear us talk about, hey, can we not be part of beef and division? Because the gospel that we've believed is doing more than just restoring us to God. It's restoring people to each other. And we want to be a part of that. But remember how sin had also frustrated the relationship between humanity and creation. I don't know if you knew. The gospel 
was not just for you, it's for creation. This is Romans chapter 8 verse 20. It says, for the creation was subjected to frustration. I don't know if you knew, but creation's kind of mad. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. I don't know if you knew, but Jesus on the cross, he's restoring creation. Woo! That's why what we often think of as heaven is actually a new Eden on earth. We talk about, like, we're going to go to heaven ultimately, forever and ever. No, we're not actually going to spend eternity in heaven. We're going to spend eternity on earth. Heaven is going to come down. And there'll be a new paradise. There'll be a new garden where what was broken is going to be restored. If you don't believe me, look at this hint in Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. It says, then the angel showed me the river. This is this new paradise of the water of life. That's crazy. There'll be a river flowing with life. (laughs) You want to be there. I'm telling you, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Like, where's the source of this river? It's coming out of the throne of God. Woo! On each side of the river stood the tree of life. There are two trees now. It's a garden, y'all. Everything is being restored. On account of the gospel. And it, it's bearing 12 crops of fruit. Yielding its fruit every month. Like months. Hmm, I didn't know. But frustration is gone. The fruit is cooperating with humanity again. And the leaves of this tree. You've got to check this out man. Natural healing stuff. The leaves of the tree. Are for the healing of the nations. That's why sickness won't be able to live there. I'm, tr- I'm good. No longer will there be any curse. The curse is gone. On account of the cross and the gospel, Jesus is restoring the creation relationship that was broken. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. This is so awesome. Remember how God used to come down and walk on a daily basis in the garden with Adam and Eve. He's not going to come down anymore. He'll live down. His throne will be among his people in that eternal garden where all things that sin has destroyed will be completely removed. I'm telling you, the gospel that you hold in your hands, that you get to share with people, is so powerful. It doesn't just invite restoration with people and God. It invites restoration with people and other people. It provides restoration with people and creation. And one day we're going to see the reality of it. Why in the world? We would not share this hope with the people in our world is beyond me. This is powerful. And you get to share that in the gospel, God is restoring people. He's restoring a relationship. He's restoring paradise. My question is, have you experienced The relationship with God restored. Because he has done everything to make it possible. All you need to do. Is say to him I need that. And I believe only you can do that. And he will restore your relationship in a moment. And you can start to live out your destiny. The other question I have for you is. Are you enjoying walking with God? 
The reason I wanted us to come back to this relationship thing is I feel like the church has lost the sense of what this whole thing is about. And many of us would say, I don't, I don't actually revel in God. I don't walk with God. I don't delight in God. And I just want to say, church, can we be reinvited to the whole thing eternal life is about, which is walking with God. And this week, the weather is supposed to be nice. So if I see you outside walking, I'm just going to assume you are getting stuff going with God. Like, I'm sorry, I'm literally going to go on a walk with him and say, teach me to walk with you. Teach me to delight in you. Help my soul to practice what I'll spend eternity doing and what my soul was designed for reveling in your presence. Teach me this art again. I don't know about you, but I'm going to go for a walk with him this week just to practice. And who in your world needs to hear that God came after them and he's done everything to restore their relationship with him. There's so many different ways to share the gospel. But what we're ultimately getting at is God is restoring the paradise of walking with him again. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to delight in you. And that you would burden our hearts to share. To be your ambassadors as you make your appeal through us to our world to be reconciled to you in the person of Jesus Christ. Thanks for inviting us into it. Jesus, you are our hero. We worship you. We worship you for making it possible for us to enjoy our destiny again. It's in your name we pray. Be magnified. Amen. Amen. God bless. Share with someone. We'll see you soon.